Ross Mullen, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Julie. Hi. So we've <laughs> known each other. I tried to track the date, the exact date that we met, and I couldn't do it. We've known each other virtually for years now. Yeah, like what? I mean, my my timeline is really strange in my head. Five, six years, maybe? Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the reason I, I wanted you on this podcast is because... One thing that all of my guests have in common, and some of them are scientists, some of them are blacksmiths, some of them are historians, some of them are actors, and some of them work as crew on movie sets. And the one mm -hmm. thing they all have in common is that they have non-traditional jobs. They have a passion for something that's very unique. And you fall into that category. You're not only an actor, but you're an actor who seems to have specialized in monsters. <laughs> which is yes. very interesting. And of course, the no the role that you're most known for is the White Walker in Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Uh, but just to start, I want to talk a little bit about your background, because I do know that you're originally from Canada. I know that you grew up mm -hmm. in Montreal. And I know yeah. that you went then to Ottawa, and you did some work with Odyssey Theatre, who happens to be my favorite theater company here in Ottawa. Tell me Aww. a little bit about that. Well, um, yeah, I grew up in Montreal. Uh, I come from a place called Ville d'Anjou, which is in the east end of the city. And uh, I always wanted to be uh, an actor. But prior to that, <laughs> when I was four or three, I think even, I really wanted to be a cartoon character. Most specifically, I wanted to be a monster on Scooby-Doo. That was my first desire as a little, little boy. And my mom said to me, well, that's all well and good, but you can't actually be a cartoon character, but you can be an actor. So once I got it into my head to become an actor, that was it. I was away with it until I was about 12 or 13 when my parents finally buckled, and gave me lessons. Uh, they sent me out to private classes in a place called Children's Theatre in the West End of Montreal once a week. It's a place where William Shatner actually trained as a child actor. And from the age of 13 till 16, I had private lessons and was trained in all kinds of crazy plays like Suddenly Last Summer, very adult pieces like Tennessee Williams' Suddenly Last Summer, or we did Shakespeare, and we did all these like crazy, wild sort of adult plays. And that was my introduction to theater. Then I went to drama school at John Abbott College where I excelled actually in mask performance. Um, we just took out masks one day. I think it was in, our, in my second year of drama school. Uh, no, it was my third year of drama school. And I really excelled in mask, Commedia dell'arte mask in particular, uh, right. where the characters were very grand and over-dramatized. And, um, and this to me was, as close as I could get to becoming a cartoon character, really. Um, and then after John Abbott College, I went on and studied at uh, Ryerson in Toronto. And in my second year at Ryerson, when the summer was coming up, I had to get a summer job. I noticed on the board at the theatre school an ad for an audition for Odyssey Theatre in Ottawa, and they were looking for actors who specialised in mask performance. And I thought, this is it, I can do it. I couldn't get an audition. I crashed the audition. 
Lori Steven, who's the artistic director at Odyssey Theater, told me <laughs> there was no places for me to audition. So, you know, I might be waiting all day and be out of luck. But after about three hours, she came into the uh, auditioning waiting room and said to me, here's your chance. Someone didn't show up. Uh, would you like to come in? I auditioned. And after a long period of recalls and her thinking it over and over and over, she decided to hire a very young actor to join a lot of older actors uh, in my first season at Odyssey Theatre, which was uh, for production of Moonlight Mischief. And thus Do you remember began... what year that was? Gosh, that was 1989, I think. Okay. Yeah, 1989. And I worked with some fantastic actors who were on the scene at the time. Um, they were really brilliant. Janet Snetzinger, I don't think she's any long, no longer in the scene. Uh, Bernard Aran, uh, you know, they were, it was a really fantastic time for me. It was amazing because all the actors were much older than me. And I was really cutting my teeth in understanding what it was to be a physical performer. Uh, but it started my kind of foray into very, very, very physical acting. And I worked for them for four seasons. Um, and then I just kind of up sticks and moved to London, England. <laughs> That's for... something that I read about. And I was like, how does someone decide? I mean, the kind of mental capacity, not capacity, but, you know, that kind of mental game that you have in your head, like of perhaps moving to a completely new place. <laughs> not just within Canada, but just leaving Canada altogether. Yeah, well, what happened was I actually got sick. Uh, my lung collapsed while I was doing a show, not at Odyssey Theatre initially, um, although that did happen eventually. My lung collapsed while I was doing a kid's show, touring around Ontario to get my equity card. And um, it was something called a pneumothorax. I, re I recovered from it very quickly. But then it reoccurred again while I was doing Odyssey Theatre that summer. And I had to pull out of the show and have a, a full operation so that it wouldn't reoccur. And while wow. I was in the hospital, I decided that the universe was giving me a sign that I should move on. And I was going to initially move to America to New Orleans. I thought, I'm going to move to New Orleans. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I just thought I'm going to move to New Orleans and it's going to be amazing. And my father, who is from Northern Ireland, uh, said to me, well, you don't have a green card, so that wouldn't be such a great idea because you wouldn't be able to work there. Why don't you get your British passport and go over to Europe and take a year off and do what some kids do and travel around Europe? And you could work in the UK if you wanted to. And so I did that. And once I got a little, I got better, I healed up. The September of 1991, I packed my bags and I moved to London. I'd only been there once when I was 12. I didn't like it. I arrived, I walked through the streets of Soho, and I thought to myself, I'm home. That's the first thing wow. I thought. I thought, I am home. I didn't feel at home in Toronto. I didn't feel at home in Ottawa. But the streets of London reminded me of the streets of Montreal, old Montreal. Um, there was something in the eccentricity of the city that reminded me of Montreal. And I just thought, this is my place. This is my vibe. This is my 
place to be. And I thought, whether I become an actor or not here, it's irrelevant. I, I'm going to stay here and live here. And everything from that moment on was a good decision, following my heart. It was uh, like a calling. That's the thing that I always advise young actors or young artists. It's get out of Canada, at least Mm -hmm. to experience what it's like to work in a different milieu or to live in a different place or get acquainted with a new culture or get a mentor that's not in your immediate surroundings. I think that that's Mm. a very good thing to do. A lot of people do go and they do come back, but a lot of people like yourself stay because you you found your home overseas. I think if it's your calling, you know, some people are really, it's interesting, you know, as I get older, I meet people from all over the world. I go to small towns, I go to big cities. And it's interesting how people are like, no, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life where I grew up in this small little town. And I think, I guess if that's your calling, if that's who you are, I suppose, like I had uncles who lived in Northern Ireland on a farm where my dad grew up who never left Northern Ireland their whole lives. They never, one of my my uncle Sam really never even left his farming village, but I wouldn't say he wasn't world worthy. You know, he was world wise. He had his own kind of version of the world and it was beautiful and uh, different, certainly not mine, but we shared something as well. So it's different, I think for a lot of people, but I think if you're an artist, it's very valuable to move. It's a very, very valuable thing to do, to move around, to travel, to see the world, to open your eyes and to challenge your mind. Absolutely. I think it adds a lot to the um, to the artist's repertoire to be able yeah. to, especially as an actor, especially because you might have a role one day that you'll be like, oh, I remember seeing this in, mm. you know, when I was visiting Mozambique or something, and you incorporate yeah. that into your acting repertoire. Uh, so your family, it sounds like your family was actually very supportive of you becoming an artist, becoming an actor. Yeah, they were. I mean, my father really wanted me to be a hockey player, which was not <laughs> so Canadian. <laughs> so Canadian. Um, he's very sporty, my dad. Um, but yeah, when I was 13, we got into a big argument. I was, I was actually not bad at hockey. I was on the all-star team and we were down in Boston and I twisted my ankle and we got into this big fight in the car coming home to Montreal. I'll never forget it. And, uh, he said, you know, you should never go on the ice when you've hurt yourself. You know, you should never go on the ice after you, you know, you've injured yourself. You should always, tell, you know, he's trying to look after me and tell me something. And I said, I only went on the ice for you. And he said, well, don't go on the ice for me. You should be going on the ice for you because, you know, you should want to play. And I said, I don't want to play. I only play hockey for you. And he was like, well, don't play hockey for me. Play hockey for you. And I said, I don't want to play hockey. I want to be an actor. And he was like, when did this come up? And I said, I've been saying this for 10 years. <laughs> I was like 13, you know, and uh, <laughs> I've been saying it since I was three, but you're not listening. And uh, we got, then he went very silent. And then when we got home, he threw my equipment into the basement. He said, you'll never play hockey again. We'll sell the equipment on Monday. You look through the phone book. You tell me where you want to take acting classes and you can go there. So wow, that's what that's happened. Impressive. Really. It was impressive and terrifying and it was like, it was kind of like that thing that parents do sometimes where it's like, I felt like he supported me, but I also felt like he was going, go ahead, you'll fail, you'll see. Oh. That's how it felt. However, in my second year at drama school at John Abbott College in Montreal, 
uh, we did a production of Alto Brecht's, it's a piece called Brecht on Brecht, and it's a, um, it's a, uh, a collection of his, his short plays, um, poems, uh, excerpts from plays and pieces that he's done in writing and stuff. It was very heavy, very World War II oriented, very Holocaust oriented, and, you know, it was very Brechtian, basically. It was very intense, mm -hmm. very about fascism and dictatorship. And it was at Christmas time. And we got into the car after the show and my mom said, well, that wasn't very Christmassy, was it? <laughs> <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, you know, here I was slogging my guts out doing this show, you know, oh, and there man. was silence. And my father said, well, it wasn't very Christmassy, but I can tell you this, you chose the right career. You're doing the right thing. Wow. I got shivers just listening to that. that that's He's, a moment, yeah. isn't it? He said, you were very good. You knew what you were doing in that. And, you know, my mom said to me, you're very smart when it comes to acting. Uh, that also moved me. You know, I was 18. So, yeah, they always supported me. They always, they always had my back. They didn't know anything about acting. That was their thing. You know, we don't know anything about yes. acting. We don't know nothing about this career. So we can't help you, but I'll tell you, they did whatever they could to help me. They just, um, yeah, they just always had my back. And moving here to London, you know, when I decided that this would be it, that this is where I was going to live, I said to my mom, I came home for nine months after living here for a year and a half. And I said, I got to go back. It's where I live. It's where I've got to go. And the day I was leaving, I said, maybe I'm making a mistake. Maybe, maybe this isn't right. And she said, you just get on that plane and you go. I didn't have children so they could sit at home and watch me grow old. You can always come home if you really need to. We'll always have your back. You're going to do amazing. So just do it, you know? That kind of support goes so far it goes mm -hmm. so far for young actors mm -hmm. uh you know a lot of actors grow up in families where they really don't I mean they almost have to break up with their parents in order to pursue their dreams so I think it's beautiful and that you you're yeah you that do. your parents did that yeah you do um my first drama teacher at John Abbott College George Popovich he said to us on our first day he said there's two things you're going to have to do here you're going to have to forget everything you learned before you came here from high school and elementary school you have to forget it all cuz you were taught to do things without failing here i want you to fail the other thing i want you to do is forget everything your parents told you uh give up the idea of security give it up completely um, you can't be safe and secure in this industry. This is an industry filled with, you know, uh, the fear of the unknown, and you have to want to embrace that. So, you know, my parents really had no idea what I was kind of going into, and they were scared too. They just wanted the best for me. Um, so their support meant an awful lot. You know, a lot of times I come home and tell them what I've learned or what I was doing, and they they just thought this is crazy. This stuff is just crazy <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> um, like you know, it just you know it's the eighties and the early nineties, and you know, they were like conservative-ish parents. You know, they were right. 
concerned about me, but they were also like, listen, we know this is making you happy. We know this is where your love is. So we want to be here alongside you. And, you know, never perfect, but they were they were always there, always there for me. Yeah. I'm glad that you you uh, mentioned the the lack of job security in this career. Mm. And mm-hmm. were you scared at the time about that particular facet of the industry, which is you audition, you audition, you audition, you audition, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's no, there's nothing really confirmed yeah. until you actually get a role. And even then, sometimes you don't get paid on time and things like that. There's a lot of insecurities to deal with in this industry. Yeah. Is that something that uh, you're no longer afraid of, or is that something that took time to get used to? It takes time to get used to that. I mean, I also have. I also believe that it's really important not only to travel the world, but to do other jobs. You know, I I also was an orderly when I was 16 years old. My mom made me go and work in the hospital she worked in, cleaning elderly people, feeding them, and um, looking after them and changing their diapers when they'd soiled themselves. Um, these jobs, I weighed, weighted tables, I've worked call centers. I am currently uh, greeting and hosting people coming into train stations at the moment in London. I love okay. doing Joe jobs. I will do a Joe job in a heartbeat because I meet everyday people and that to me is what this business is about. Um, my father said something to me really amazing, though, as well in my the early part of my career, too. He said, because my father worked in an oil refinery for 40 years, and he said, you know what? <laughs> At least you don't have to see the same people for 35 years. <laughs> so, so true. You don't have a boss said, that watches over you all the time. <laughs> yeah, he was like, you know what? It must be nice to just go into a different place every so often. You know, I've lived through a couple of recessions in this country and one in Canada. Um, I'm, we're living through this pandemic at the moment. I think my career has really helped prepare me for this, right? Like it's when the world sort of falls apart through recessions and pandemics like this and job security goes out the window and people want to jump off, jump off buildings, I'm a bit like, hey man, that's kind of what happens to me every four months. I lose my mm-hmm. job. I got a think I don't have anything around the corner or do I or maybe what am I going to do um I have to just make do got to make it happen got to you know so like t- on Friday tomorrow well tomorrow's Thursday tomorrow I go down to Cannon Street station here in London and I'm greeting people coming into London from uh Kent and then on Friday I'm going in for my screen test for a vampire movie I'm doing <laughs> so there Amazing. you go you know and today i'm doing an interview about my illustrious career and every drop <laughs> of my career is something i'm very proud of i have no shame about i think a lot of actors you know if they've experienced a little bit of success like i have even they become very ashamed that they have to go back and maybe do a ta- wait tables or do an, ex- a, an extra job i think wow what a great opportunity to meet the public chat to them 
<laughs> you know, this is what I'm hearing people. actually. Yeah, this Love is what that. I'm hearing in, in the industry in LA, which is that a lot of people who are out of work in LA are driving Uber or they're cleaning yeah. hotel rooms or things like that because it, it, you know, even the big names are doing that. There's some big name actors that are mm -hmm. actually going out and doing, you know, regular Joe jobs, like you said, uh, because yep. it, it gives them, um, it also gives them a, a purpose. Because to go from working yes. all the time to nothing is also very difficult. Yeah, Do I you always think. Experience that. Yeah. Oh God, yes. And uh, and I have my periods where I don't have to work at all. Like, um, I you know I didn't really have to take this job. I just thought it was better for money coming in than going out. But also, I do like meeting people. I think it's good for perspective. It keeps you real a bit too. It keeps your feet on the ground. I really think that's important for whatever type of actor you may want to be or performer or celebrity you want to be. I don't know. It's good to connect with people. It's so important. Otherwise you become, I don't know, you become a bit of a jerk <laughs> sometimes. Too, you, know, yeah. you just become a jerk, <laughs> really. I think there's a great story in that, that documentary, um, you know, about backup singers. What's it called? Six feet of six feet from stardom. Do you know it? Yes, I think it was on Netflix, I think, for a while. Yeah, and there's a backup singer, and she worked cleaning hotels for years after she had a hit single of some, you know, pop song in the 60s. And she was cleaning a room in a hotel, and she heard her song come on, and she just thought, hey, man, that's me. Like, that's mm -hmm. me. <laughs> and then she thought, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I got to get back to work. <laughs> And there's something really lovely about that. Like when I went out to the, you know, who knew when I was going to be working again with this pandemic. Uh, so I just went out to stations and I thought, good, be humble, be humble and do a job. Get out there with the people. This is who you are. And then, you know, after a few shifts, I just thought like, hey, man, like I got to get back to work at some point. It was like, I got to make a movie. I've got to do some theater. I've got to be creative again. Um, there's something about being amongst people away from your industry that wakes you up again too. It, it inspires you to want to go amongst the people and tell your story or, or make their day. And, you know, I do cameos as well. I don't know if you know what cameos are. They're just I was like actually going to plug you at the end of the, oh, the, oh, of well, the podcast. Plug, yeah, put me on cameos. Go ahead, go but ahead and talk about it right now if you'd like. But they're they are really actually super lovely to do. People wonder why celebrities do them, but they're actually really lovely to make somebody explain day. what it is. Well, it's a, a shout out or a happy birthday, basically, to a friend or a pep talk sometimes to someone who's feeling low that you might book. So you would book me as either, you know, well, they, you book me as Ross Mullen. I'm the White Walker from Game of Thrones. And I would literally say, you know, hi, Brenda, this is Ross. I play the White Walker from Game of Thrones. Happy birthday. Like, you know, George told me it was your birthday. And wants you to know he's thinking about you. And, you know, you kind of, um, you're kind of just uh, making people's day a bit. And you, it reminds you of how important your work was that you did. Uh, on Game of Thrones or Doctor Who or any of the stuff you've done, it's uh, it's lovely. I I know what that's like as a person to really admire. You know, as a gay kid growing up in Montreal, um, you know there wasn't a lot of 
that around me, you know? So when I saw that in television and movies, I felt they were speaking to me, you know? When I was watching Bewitched or watching the Sonny and Cher show, I thought they were talking to me, mm-hmm. telling me, you know, get out of the suburbs, you know? Be who you are. And uh, Cameo and a lot of this connection is is about that. Being a performer was a lot about that. I wanted to inspire others around me to to know it's okay to be you, man. <laughs> to do the right kind of work that makes people alive and move, whatever shakes them and gets them out, you know? To tell them I find that, it Yeah. Sorry, Ross. I find it That's interesting okay. that you felt at home in London at first, what it, it, it was London, correct? When you yeah, when yeah. you okay, so it was London. So you felt at home there and now mm-hmm. Do you find that you feel at home with the people you've always wanted to work with? Because now you're with people who think the same way, who like who 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 are creative, who are energized and and um you know whether it's makeup artists or production yes. people, it's just you're part of a grander team now. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I I did a I filmed Two weeks ago, I did a little uh, filming on an ITV drama about uh, Marilyn Monroe, and uh, it was so wonderful to be back with a team of artists, makeup team, costume, crew, cameramen, lighting guys, directors. You know, it it just felt like I'm like I'm home. I'm helping create <clears throat> and tell a story. Most importantly, a story about an actress who wasn't treated very well by the industry. Uh, we were, you know, there trying to right the wrongs of the industry to some degree for her life, to tell her story, hopefully the best we could. Um, so, yeah, I do feel at home with them, definitely. I feel like that is my place in this world, for sure. Can we talk about Game of Thrones for a minute? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it is probably your most uh, iconic role. For sure, absolutely. Yeah, that's the role that's going to live on in whether it's merchandise or board games or statuettes or whatever. I see White Walkers (laughs) all the time, even long after the episodes have aired. Yeah, Uh, yeah. How does it feel to to have played such an iconic character? Um, it feels not like I thought it would feel. I guess. Um, it feels fantastic and marvelous and uh humbling and beautiful and in some ways not mine entirely because the white walker is created by a team of incredible makeup artists designers uh a team of you know the creators of game of thrones themselves dan and dave uh george rr martin so the white walker is something that's you know belongs to a lot of people i'm the guy who's in embodying him um so i hold the mantle for him but a lot there's a long list of people behind me but that's actually the way it feels around a lot of everything that you do you realize well i realize now as i get older you know like when i think you know i loved samantha from bewitched and i thought you know it's her show but (laughs) really i i realized it was probably not her show it was the show of the network the producers the writers the creators a lot of people go into creating your character and and no more is more obvious than the white walker who you know i literally have a team of people walking around with me on set touching me up fixing my hair making me look exactly as i should be 
Um, they sent me out for horseback riding lessons. So there's a stunt team around who taught me how to ride bareback. Um, you know, it was a fantastical experience for me. Um, and I had no idea at all <laughs> what I was going into because I actually didn't want to necessarily do the job at the beginning, which is really, yeah, I had come out of doing the remake of Clash of the Titans, which was my first big prosthetic job. I played one of the witches, one of the blind witches right. in Clash of the Titans. I don't know if you know the movie, but there's yes. three blind witches who share an eyeball. So it was all the eye, the eye, give me the eye, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, I was wearing 40 pounds of prosthetics and could only breathe through my mouth, not through my nose. And I couldn't see anything. I was completely blind. Um, it was excruciatingly hot on set. We were using real fire and real steam. And it was a big, 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 big challenge for me to get through that that shoot we were at one point all three of us collapsed we were taken out we were overheating cut out of our suits ice packed um my heart was racing thought i was gonna die if it wasn't for the late richard zanuck who's the son of the great daryl zanuck not that richard isn't great as well but richard zanuck um stepped in and took control of the production cooled down the sets literally told me that you know he was going to go out and talk to the crew and he said listen when you speak that's me speaking so i don't have to speak you tell them what you need and that'll be it uh so he changed the nature of how we shot on set uh but once i got to the end of that shoot i thought i will never do another prosthetic job again as long as i live <laughs> ever 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 i thought i'm glad i lived literally after the first day i could barely even bring myself to go back and sit in the chair you know five hours in makeup 40 pounds of prosthetic on boiling hot <sighs> you know i was working with some great actors too you know like liam cunningham and who I, you know who was also in game of thrones um What's Sam Worthington, Gemma Arterton, all these great actors on set with me. But I thought, God, get me out of here. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> um, when it was over, I thought, no, 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 no. I can never do this again. Well, you know, a year later, Connor O'Sullivan, who does Creatures FX, contacted my agent and said, I would like Ross to come down and audition for a show called Game of Thrones. Um, it's for a prosthetic role. My agent got in touch with me and I was like, uh, <laughs> no way. And she said, well, he said it's not going to be as bad as Clash of the Titans. So he wants you to hear him out. So I went down to Nina Gold's office uh, and I said, I'm here for King of Thrones, I think it's called. <laughs> and she went, oh, it's Game of Thrones. It's a really popular <laughs> HBO show that's been on for a year now. And I went, oh, uh, I, I was like, okay. I was like, sure whatever i went into a room with them all and they wanted to show me loads of pictures and drawings and ideas and stuff that they had for the white walker um and very similarly to clash of the titans they just wanted me to improvise off of photographs and ideas that they had which i'm quite good at you know i kind of was like oh well this character sounds like this because he doesn't like babies but he's from the north he's sort of a zombie but he's not really you know i saw lots of amazing 
pictures. I couldn't help but be interested. It sounded fascinating. I did my audition, pretended I had a big sword in my hand when actually I had like, you know, the inner tube of a of a holiday wrapping paper. You know, one of those big long <laughs> yeah. tubes, cardboard tubes. That's what I used as a sword. I pretended I was going to kill a baby in in the snow. Um, it was all very hilarious and bizarre. I, that audition tape is somewhere. Um, and a couple of days later, oh, they also said to me, "Can you ride a horse?" And I was like, "Absolutely not." And they went, "Oh." Um, have you ever been on a horse? And I said, mm, well, I have, but I don't want to get on a horse unless I know what I'm doing. So you might want to get somebody else to do this. And uh, they then, you know, whispered amongst themselves. And then they came back and they said, if we sent you out on lessons, would you be up for doing it? And I said, absolutely. If you want to send me out on lessons, God, I was like 43 or 44. I thought, why do you want to send a middle-aged guy out to learn how to ride a horse? I'm sure there's an actor to do it somewhere. Uh, so, you know, like my idea of the show wasn't really anything because I hadn't watched it. Then I got the job and then I watched the show, the first season. And I thought, Whoo, OK, this is an interesting yeah. show with a very good season finale. And I kept being told, like, you're going to be the season finale of season two. You're going to be the season finale of season two. And then I was like, OK, wow, the season finale. And I realized, you know, there's nothing like my character in this show um yet there was a lot of chit chat around winter is coming in the first season you know a lot of build up to them i thought well this could be something really big so when we shot it i realized oh okay this is going to be a big 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 reveal you know and as it proved it changed my career so i can only thank yeah. it and the production enough you know it's been an, an amazing experience for me it it changed your career, but I find it actually even more interesting that the creators thought of you. So you didn't have, you didn't see like an ad anywhere or you didn't, it wasn't word of mouth. It was literally oh God, no. get me Ross's agent. We want <laughs> him to come in and audition. So already your, your career had changed. Yeah. Well, it was really Connor O'Sullivan, who is the, the head of Creatures FX, who wanted me. You see... What his his side of it would be that he had worked with me on Clash of the Titans. I didn't walk out on that show, right? Ah. I didn't walk out on that production. <laughs> I, I sat through that without buckling or breaking down. I was the right size and build for the White Walker. And so he thought, bring it in. I want, you know, I'd like, and he knew he could work with me. Because the problem with prosthetics, you know, it's five hours in makeup, 12 hours of shooting, two hours out of makeup. You go back to the hotel, have a glass of wine, a cry, have a little sleep, and get back in the chair at one o'clock in the morning. So it's not everybody who can do that, including stuntmen. You know, it's not everyone right. who can do that. It's uh, it takes some willpower, and I just can I thrive on less sleep sometimes. I mean, I only ever really sleep for five or six hours. I I'm, I can catch a nap here and there whenever I'm you know, just sort of sitting down, I nap really easily. Um, so it was a concoction of things, you know, I wouldn't say that they were necessarily super keen on me. But, you know, Connor certainly wanted to put me to the forefront and say, this guy won't, won't bottle it, he'll, he'll show up and do the job. So that's I had a, a, good a very end. important thing. 
the work yeah. ethic, the, the fact that you stuck with it, even though you hated it in that moment is very important because yeah. it can lead to other opportunities like you did mm. with Game of Thrones. And then yeah. you got into Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. And that's even weirder. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's even more bizarre. That's because they they got in touch with me because I was the White Walker, obviously. But they wanted me to replace some actors who weren't able to show up for certain gigs. So my first job in Doctor Who was doing um, the Doctor Who proms at the Royal Albert Hall, which is a big musical uh, class, you know, like uh, orchestrated music, music. They play all the music of Doctor Who and show clips of it and have characters and actors from the show show up at the Royal Albert Hall. And so I replaced the Ice Warrior for that. So I had my big share moment. I showed up in the middle of the Royal Albert Hall. I entered in a big block of ice, broke out of the ice with dry ice, fog machine, scaring the audience and walking through the audience as the Ice Warrior, uh, replacing the actor who would normally have played him. Um, that went very well. And then they asked me to replace one of the actors as the Silence in Matt. Uh, Smith's very last episode that he ever filmed, um, which was really wonderful. And then they offered me a role that was created specifically sort of, you know, for, so it was my own little bespoke role and it was playing the teller uh, with Peter Capaldi. So I had these three really kind of iconic moments with Doctor Who. My auditions were odd to say the least. I mean, for the Ice Warrior, I had to go up to Cardiff and try on the already existing costume at the Doctor Who experience, which was like a Doctor Who museum up there after hours, after it had shut. So it was a dark museum and talk about Scooby-Doo moment. I was in the monster section of the, the Doctor Who museum, <laughs> uh, surrounded by monsters with the costume girl. And she was trying to get the, the, the costume off of the rail, but and she said, just get undressed, you know? So I, I took off all my clothes to my underwear and I was sat there <laughs> and she was like, I'm really struggling with this bit. I'm just gonna leave you alone for a minute and go and get some help. So there I was all alone in my underwear, sat at the Doctor Who experience, <laughs> oh <my laughs> thinking God. this is really weird. Yeah. Um, the costume fit and I, you know, I got the job. And very similarly with the silence, I was told to just go like very last minute to go to a hotel in Soho here in London and meet with a girl and a guy and try on this outfit, basically. Uh, I just showed up at this little hotel and I said at the front desk, Doctor Who? And she went, ah, she gave me a key to room 16. Go up, let myself in, knock, knock, knock on the door. A girl shows up with a costume. A guy shows up with the mask and the hands. We try it all on, it fits. She goes, does it fit? I was like, yeah. She was like, do you want the job? I was like, sure. And she's like, okay, can you film on Friday? I was like, yes. And that's how I got that job. Wow. <laughs> like crazy. It seems very informal. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, sometimes acting is just, you know, very informal. <laughs> You'd be really, really surprised. I mean, some of the stuff I shot for Game of Thrones with Michelle McLaren, who's an Emmy award-winning act, uh, Emmy award-winning director. She's phenomenal, you know. We were shooting, we didn't have my horse on the first day of shooting season four. So we just, um, she said, why don't you sit on a barrel on the back of this pickup truck 
we'll get we'll get a fan blow your hair hold the baby <laughs> i'll dirty the shot with this piece of hessian and bounce the truck bounce the pickup truck like just you know like kind of bounce it <laughs> and it'll look like you're riding a horse well it's the shot they use of me riding the horse basically even though we did Amazing. plenty of shots afterwards with the horse and while we were shooting and i said god michelle this really seems very she went like a student film and i went yeah she went nothing wrong with a good student film you know <laughs> she's like you think i haven't made a student film before i was like yeah, i guess so so yeah those yeah. are the kinds of hacks that actually work i have uh julian white who I've already interviewed mm -hmm. on my Twitch live stream, but who's also coming back on the podcast. He's he was a, one of the gaffers on uh, ah, Game okay. of Thrones. Yeah, and uh, and also spoke a little bit with uh, Greg, who was a cinematographer. And we, you know, I'm learning a lot more about the the hacks um, you mm. know used in filmmaking, which is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm actually not surprised to learn about that <laughs> about the oh, DIY yeah. all approaches. The cheats. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. love exactly. all that. Love it. Yeah, now, I remember when we were shooting also in season four. You know, she she wanted it to look like we were shooting through ice. You know, so they brought out these big blocks of ice that they had brought onto set. But you know, when you're trying to shoot through blocks of ice, it doesn't look like you're shooting through blocks of ice. <laughs> they were like. They're like, well, we brought these blocks of ice. And she said, yeah, but when I'm shooting through it, it, does, it just looks blurry. What I want it to do is it has to just look like that. And what looks like that is a whole lot of Vaseline all over the screen. That looks like ice more right. than shooting through ice, you know? So there That's you go. True. Uh, you've worked a lot of monsters. You've, you've really you've done a lot of them. Now, is this something that uh, you want to move away from at this point? Or is this something you want to continue doing because it's something that you are good at? Um, a little bit of both. You know, I'm an actor, so I like the challenge of doing other things. So I'm producing um, a short film of a play that I performed a couple of years ago at the Oval Theatre here in London. It's a Romanian piece that was done in the mid 80s called Pocketful of Bread uh, during the Ceausescu reign. Uh, it's very Waiting for Godot-ish. Um, we're working on that right now. Um, hopefully shoot it as soon as we can. We're struggling with our director because he's a bit vulnerable and with this pandemic and COVID and oh, all course. the rules and regulations, yada, yada, yada. But that's on the cards. Um, I have a vampire film I'm, I'm gonna be shooting soon and i've got a screen test for on friday that's in the bag and we're doing it that's been on the go now for a year we should have shot it by now but because of covid it was put on hold it's a beautiful script it's fantastic it's very romantic and also blood-curdlingly horrifying um the role is beautiful it's obviously a monster it's a vampire i don't have to wear so much prosthetic for it they're going to use my own ugly face for it and uh <laughs> i've gotten to that age where i actually look like a 300 year old vampire um <laughs> so you know um i, I would never i'd never say no to a monster role because it's it's it was the dream of my four-year-old self to become a monster right like that was the thing um, every time, you know, like la a couple of years ago, I did a commercial and I was playing a space alien and I was thinking, oh, do I really want to go and go to Madrid in the middle of the summer and get into this boiling hot suit? And I just thought, 
what would your four-year-old self say? And he would say, oh my God, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> You're going to be right. playing a space alien. Come on, like you can't turn this down. So I always look at the options in front of me through the eyes of myself, my former self, because as you get older, sometimes you think, oh God, like really? I don't know about this. Like even going back to Odyssey Theater last summer, uh, I was, you know, invited back. I thought, oh God, do I really want to go back? It's so hot in Ottawa. And and then I thought, but what would I, what would my 16-year-old say to myself? You know, my what would my old sex 16-year-old say? And he would say, that's amazing. You know, like you went forward and then you went back and then you went forward again, you know, with your, you know, the, the car of your life, you were able to do full circle. Can you do it again? You know, can you go back to the past? Can you rekindle the fire of a 19 year old boy's first experience uh, in his first theatrical job at the age of 52? Can you do it? And I was like, okay, this is, this is what the universe is telling me to do. And I, I've always just followed my heart. You know, I puppeteered for years here on um, television, um, only because I answered an ad in the paper in the early 90s with the Muppets and trained with Kevin Clash, who, you know, played Elmo for years. Um, I trained as a puppeteer, didn't like it. But then I got into debt in the early 2000s, and this job came up to puppeteer a little blue bear on a quiet little sleepy Sunday television show, um, get myself out of debt. And lo and behold, I got a spinoff series, a sitcom series off of it. And that that character, Nev the Bear on Bear Behaving Badly, that character really altered my career, really. Because without him, I never would have got through the door for Clash of the Titans and Game of Thrones. Um, and that so was you with never uh, know... Jim Henson, right? Uh, well, I trained Jim with Henson, Henson but... Okay. This BBC show was a show that was in its own right. You know, my my agent had put me up for. Um, wasn't anything to do with Henson, but I had trained with Henson in the early '90s. You know, with the Henson Group when they used to be based in London in the early '90s. They had the Creature Shop up in Cam in Camden here, um, but I didn't really like it so much. You know, so. But then I, you know, then I ended up puppeteering for years, for like six years, just because I said yes, you know, and I said yes only because I was in debt. And I just thought, maybe I need to do this. Maybe this will save me. And it saved me. You know, my career has a way of saving me sometimes. Um, sometimes I just have to get out of the way. You know, our brains often get in the way. You know, if you think too much about something, it's... It doesn't do you any good. You just got to go, okay, look, the world's telling you to do this job. Just do it, right? You're being invited right. to do it. Just do it. Absolutely. This is something that uh, comes up very often. I think insecurity plays a big role in that often. Oh, yeah. Insecurity and inexperience mm -hmm. even. Uh, once you become experienced at saying yes, or even experienced at saying no, I think at a certain oh, point, yeah. you know, yep. uh, there's a, a reason to say one or the other. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious about uh, what it is that outside of acting, what it is that you're learning about or wanting to learn more about these days. Uh, are you, like you said, you're producing something now. So is there another yeah. role in that industry that you, you want to explore or are you really bona fide? Like you just want to do acting? Um, 
I'm not that keen on producing. I kind of just figured, well, this is the way this will get done, is if we produce it, me and this guy. So um, I might want to direct something on stage. I have an idea of something I want to do on stage. I teach a little bit, too, to animation students, un okay. you know, unbelievably or believably, because uh, <laughs> that also is very interesting. You know, that just kind of fell in my lap. Uh, weirdly, again, you know, because I loved cartoons when I was a kid and wanted to be a cartoon character. So teaching animation students acting is a very interesting thing. I can kind of come from it from my organic experience. Um, I ha I'm very drawn to people and therapies and I love, you know, the process of getting over stuff in life, addictions and things. I love talking to people about all kinds of things. I think my industry always kind of points me in the right direction. Like this vampire film has a lot of connections with addiction. And the last movie I did, Zoo Head, I was playing a doctor who was working on addictions and stuff. And addictions is something that's always fascinated me. Um, therapies, helping people. I don't know. You know, at one point I thought I'll retrain and become a therapist. This was during mm -hmm. COVID, especially I was thinking maybe this is what I should be doing. But I'm not so sure anymore. I think this is my calling, really. I think acting is my calling. Every time I try to step away from it, I get something that shows me that this is actually where I need to do my work, whether I know right. it or not. If that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. This is where my best sense. work is you're, done. Yeah. You're not the only actor who is having this kind of um, little dialogue with, with himself yeah. or herself, you know? Oh, um, I know. Yeah. There well, are was... other actors who are contemplating other jobs and not just jobs to pay the bills, but also just maybe changing their vocation. This is actually, mm. it's interesting because this is an, a great time to get to know ourselves better. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And it has been amazing to get to know myself a bit better. I, yeah, rethink, I mean, I love where I live in London. I love where I've chosen to be. I, I you know, and the pandemic has helped me reflect so hugely through the years of my life. I mean, there was a period like for literally weeks where I could not stop tripping down memory lane. I was literally almost sunk into the past, but not in this negative or nostalgic way, but I was actually felt like I was there viewing my past. Um, and I was like, wow, I am so blessed. Like I've just not had time to kind of collect my thoughts and go, wow, what an incredible life I've lived. I, I can't, you know, people have often said that to me, like, you've had an incredible life. And I've just kind of thought, what? Like, I just go down to the pub like everybody else. And <laughs> I just shop at Tesco like everybody else. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've worked with, I've had lunch with Sigourney Weaver, for God's sake. <laughs> I've, oh, you know, she's I like, worked with She's some, my favorite, Ross. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I worked with her on A Monster Calls. I worked with Liam Neeson on that, helping him with his motion capture. And when I met her, she walked into the room and she said to me are you ross mullen <laughs> and i went yeah <laughs> and she went you're the white walker on game of thrones and i went yeah <laughs> she was like oh my daughter really wants to get into makeup and i'd love to pick your brain 
we can have a moment you want to chat and I thought oh my god like you Sigourney Weaver <laughs> like what what's going on like what is happening here um yeah and so I had like a two, like two and a half hour conversation with her over lunch you know uh I remember when I was a little kid watching her in Alien you know like I mean I was I didn't yeah. you know it was like what 12 or 13 or something um it's just nuts you know it's crazy and we had a lot in common and she loves Montreal she loves London you know we had and I also just thought wow she's just like you know she's just a really actually really cool person who loves to break bubble wrap you know basically <laughs> which is what we were doing at one point just kind of breaking That's bubble hilarious. wrap <laughs> well this is the thing and this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast it wasn't just to you know talk to scientists and talk about or talk to artists it was really to get to know the human being behind the passion and mm. the expertise which yeah. is uh you know what i because one of the things i learned from my own little foray into filmmaking which you know uh contrary to yours i discovered i did not enjoy as much but i did end up working with <laughs> my heroes so boring. <laughs> <laughs> no actually i hated the uh, lifestyle i didn't like the 16 right. hours on set lifestyle uh, but i, I mean, ended yeah. up yeah i ended up working with my heroes i asked pascal bussard yeah. point blank if she wanted to be in one of my films and she was like yeah no problem and i was like yeah and I told her, you know, this is the, you, I came out because of you. I saw you in When Night wow. is Falling. So I got to sit her at my dining room table and tell her wow. that story. So there is something special about connecting with the people who were your heroes when you were young or your, your yeah. mentors or your, you know, whatever. That movie so you I mentioned, think When beautiful. Night is Falling. What's that about? Mm -hmm. Is that a vampire is movie? A, No, it's not. No. That's a, essentially a circus performer who meets a Catholic girl and oh, okay. they fall in love and it's uh it was directed by vampire movie from montreal which is so phenomenal oh, i don't it's know so good i saw it years ago and i was like oh. and a girl i went to school with in at john abbott college jennifer morehouse who's a montreal actress was in it and i was like oh my god this movie is amazing um yeah, that's so cool know that you know it's such a difficult it's you know it's a real, I think it's a really difficult industry depending on what component you're in. Because I think directing and producing for, for the film and television industry is like a whole different kettle of fish. I remember Meryl Streep being asked, you know, once in an interview, how can, like, what, do you want to direct something? Do you want to produce something? And she was like, no, I want to go home at 6 p.m. I just thought, yeah. exactly. Like, because, you don't like you know when i finish my day acting you know you can see then the producers and directors really start their day and it's just like yuck i'm too tired i want to go home and i don't want to think about something for four hours but they're all consumed with it for the whole time you know they're drowning in it Hard, yeah, it's, hard it's work a though. long, it's a very long and tedious process. And some people oh, are built for it. I hear that. Uh, and, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that Ridley Scott apparently just does one after the other. He just, he's built for it. That's yeah. what he loves to do. Uh, and so it's like, oh, some, some people, people are made for are it. Just, some people yeah. are not. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Ross, I want to read this little quote by T.S. Eliot, because I think it summarizes, uh, your story a little bit oh, uh, we shall not cease okay. from exploration 
at the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time, which is really uh, something that just came to my mind when speaking with you and hearing about you returning back to Ottawa and then realizing that, no, UK, the UK is my home and then coming back to Canada yeah. and doing a little bit of back and forth, even in your career, yeah. which is uh, that's beautiful. really interesting to learn. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing your story. Yeah, I hope you're over in London sometime. Oh, I hope I'm back in Canada sometime. God, <laughs> I really want to see my family again, but I would love to meet up with you. You're in Ottawa, yeah? I am back in Ottawa, yeah, yeah. Contemplating well, a move have to, to the to meet East Coast. Up. Okay, well, my, my nephew lives out there. I love the East Coast. Nova Brilliant. Scotia is out there. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely be in Europe. Uh, you know, as soon as the uh, restrictions are lifted, then we'll definitely head yes. out to Europe. My partner and Come I. So it'd be us. beautiful. I would love yeah. that. I would love that. London is so, quiet right now. It's hard to believe. Yeah, I bet. But it's quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, thank you very much for appearing on the on the show, and I wish thank you all the best. Me. And uh, we'll too, be Julie. in touch again soon. All the best and much love. Thank you.